Hello, and welcome back to the Interdrone Podcast, your 30,000-foot view of the commercial drone industry. It is Tuesday, January 12th, 2021, our first episode of the new year. Uh, thrilled to, to be back bringing you this weekly this weekly recording, and we're thrilled to have our special guest on today, Don Zoldai, um, founder, CEO of P3 Tech Consulting. She also serves as the Interdrone Adjunct Conference Planner. She uh, helped us organize a number of the great sessions from Interdrone Online just this past December. And uh, if anybody wasn't able to attend, we'll have um, all that content on demand uh, by the end of this week on our content platform, Launchpad, launchpad.arrow. Um, you can head over and set up a free account and um, catch up on any anything you may have missed from, from the December event. So um, every week we talk about a couple of news stories from the past week. And um, this week we we're just going to talk about one. We're going to talk about remote ID, the big ruling that came down at the end of last year. I think it was four days before uh, before the new year. Um, Don wrote a, uh, a great article on inside unmannedsystems.com, which we are going to go through today. Um, we are coming to you live, so please, uh, if, if you're tuning in, ask us questions, um, whether you're on Twitch, Facebook, or YouTube. Um, there's a, on Twitch, there's a box down below. You can ask your questions on, on YouTube and Facebook. You can drop um, your question in the comments, and those will be routed to us, and we'll get those answered in, in real time. So uh, again, we'll be, we'll be diving into Remote ID, the new ruling, um, over the next hour. Um, Don, uh, before we get too uh, into the weeds on remote ID, um, if you could maybe give our listeners a brief background about some of your experience um, in, in aviation and the Air Force, and then you know how you, I guess, made your way into the drone industry and and um, what what you do today at, at P3 Tech Consulting. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, hello everybody and happy New Year. Uh, welcome to 2021. I'm actually very honored to be your first podcast of the year. I, I didn't realize that when you asked me to do this. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so my background, uh, I spent almost 25 years in the United States Air Force and the Judge Advocate General Corps, so military attorney. Uh, towards the latter part of my career is when I really got into drones or unmanned aircraft systems, especially when I was at Air Combat Command, because they're the functional manager, for lack of a better term, for the large UAS. And uh, that's where I really got into writing, researching and writing uh, about drone law and policy. And I helped formulate the DOD's uh, Department of Defense's uh, domestic drone policy at that time uh, and, and did an, another iteration in 2018. Um, you know, after I retired from the military active duty in uh, March of 2018, I spent two years with the office, uh, Secretary of the Air Force's Office of the General Counsel. Uh, I did business matters uh, for the United States Air Force Academy. Um, uh, the Academy has uh, a whole host of research centers and institutes, and one of them is an unmanned aircraft uh, uh, center. Um, so I got to still dabble in, in drone law and policy at that time. And then over the past year, uh, I have been the deputy director for the Air Force Academy's Center for Character and Leadership Development. So transitioned from that attorney role to being administrative faculty and uh, leading in the, in the area of leadership and character development. Um, but in the midst of that, around October of 2019, uh, I created my company, P3 Tech Consulting. And frankly, I did it right on the heels of what I will call a major life-changing event for me, which is when I won uh, Women in Drones, Women to Watch Award in uh, the category of leadership. And um, actually, that was announced at Interdrone. And so that was one of my great experiences with Interdrone right off the bat. Um, that was the impetus and the inspiration for me to create my company. It's all about connecting people with a passion for advanced technology platforms with the programs, policies, and uh, plans they need and information they need to succeed. Uh, and my vision really is to become the premier global resource for that and to use innovation to make the world a better place. And um, so that, that's a little bit about my background and what I do in P3 Tech and why I created it. Yeah, thanks for uh, all the kind words, Dawn. And uh, you, you deserve some kind ones in return. Thank you so much for being our adjunct conference producer this year. Uh, I think you brought a level of polish, and especially the international voices 
and uh, the voices of women you brought to the program were definitely key to, I think, the feel of the show. Um, so thanks again for joining us to talk about the important topic of, of probably uh, the future of drones in general, uh, remote ID today. We've, we've got, uh, I think, 20 live viewers on... Oh, 31 <laughs> live viewers on Twitch. So uh, hopefully we'll have some questions from from them that you can ask at any time. So yeah. please do. Yeah. So yeah, let's dive, let's dive right in. Um, I think, as I mentioned, uh, four days before the new year and after 53 public comments on the draft rule, uh, the FAA finally released its final remote ID rule, um, essentially requiring a digital license plate for unmanned aircraft to be operated in the US, one that both people on the ground and other airspace users can receive. Um, so the rule is specifically for unmanned aerial, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles itself and not UAS. So not the entire unmanned system, which includes control station and data link. Um, this recognizes that manufacturers might make UAs that are controlled by another manufacturer's control stations. More importantly, it ensures that the UA will be broadcasting remote ID and not the control station. So, you know, before we even get any further, let's stop right here. Um, Don, I'd love to get some of your insight. Um, what do you think about um, putting the the broadcast requirement on the vehicles itself and not the entire system? Is that um, is that going to allow for more kind of flexibility going forward? Um, can you just kind of compare and contrast those two ideas and and maybe try to put yourself in the shoes of uh, some of the regulators at the FAA and why they went this route? Yeah, so let's back up a second, and because uh, CJ, I think you meant to say 50,000 comments were received on this rule, and mm -hmm. you know it took the FAA uh, about a year uh, to complete the final rule. And frankly, it, from the original iteration in the notice of public rulemaking that came out in December of 2019 uh, until this December 28th launch of of the final rule, and by the way, I got a squirrel for a second. It has not been published in the Federal Register, right? So we're calling it the final rule, but it really becomes official when that happens. And it is with, uh, you know, the, the Federal Register folks, but it, they, it hasn't been officially published yet. And that's key to understanding when those various timelines, I'm sure we'll talk about later when they start kicking in. Uh, okay, but it, it took them about a year to, to put all this together. And from the original notice to what we have today, a lot of different things changed. And, and CJ, you've pinged right on, on the first one, which is, you know, words matter. And so some terminology was clarified. This idea that, you know, remote ID is about the unmanned aircraft itself and not about the entire system. Mm -hmm. It's a nuance, but it's an important one. And, and one the FAA made a very, a uh, strong point in making throughout the in, entire rule. Um, you know, so the point is that the remote ID, it, it needs to be tied to the aircraft because it's all about the location of the aircraft. It's a license plate for that aircraft. Now, is there a tie to the system and the controller as a location? Absolutely. But the beacon, if you will, the, you know, where this is, I'll use my technical term, where this is being beamed from mm -hmm. is going to be from the actual aircraft as opposed to someone on the ground holding a, a controller. And so hence the kind of the nuance and the terminology to be consistent with what, how this is going to work and the technology that's going to be employed. What are the consequences of the way that the, the terminology as it's laid out? And is that a shift from where it was or where people thought it was heading kind of the months leading into what is the final rule, according to the FAA, b before it's placed on the register? Um, you know, I don't I don't think that was really a shift to where the technology was going to be located. I think it was always going to be located on the actual aircraft. Uh, the biggest difference, uh, you know, other than clarifying that terminology and, and, and making that just, you know, beat you over the head obvious if that's what they were saying, uh, the, the, uh, the biggest change was not using network. Mm -hmm. 
as part of the solution, right? So that that was the one where everybody got this rule and they said, whoa, this this is somewhat of a radical shift because you know if you if you all recall, uh, they had kind of set up the world in this notice of public rulemaking to have you know three different I'll call them kinds of drones, right? With remote ID, one was the standard remote ID, uh, and then the other was the which which would require a broadcast and network, you know, kind of beaming solution, right? And then the limited remote ID was only going to be network based. And then the without remote ID, those drones that did not have it would be relegated to flying in a federally recognized identification area or FRIA. You know, the first and you know, those bookends, the, the, the standard and the FRIA aspects, they, they haven't changed a lot. They, I mean, they have, there are definitely nuances we could go through. But the, the most radical change was that one in the middle. So the standard remote ID drone, it, it's gone because this is a broadcast only solution. Mm -hmm. Standard remote ID will not have a network component to it. There's no more limited remote ID. Instead, there's gonna be these things called broadcast modules that will allow you to retrofit an existing aircraft uh, to, to broadcast the remote ID message elements. Uh, and then the FRIA, the folks without, um, you know, without remote ID, which are going to mo mostly maybe your research folks, your hobbyists and things like that, they will be re uh, working, uh, flying out of a federally recognized identification area. Right. So what does that mean for, for end users then? Uh, so you mentioned the word retrofitting. Um, I'd imagine some drones can't be retrofitted with uh, the broadcast technology. Does that mean they're just grounded to the, or, or they have to fly, fly in a free zone? Well, here's the thing, Mike, you know, let's, let's just be clear. I'm not an engineer. Right. Um, so, and the technology for these modules doesn't quite exist. So what I will tell you is Kenji Shugahara, uh, who is now the CEO of the drones, uh, service providers Alliance, DSPA, you know, working with Vic Moss, Kenji just got a patent. Uh, on broadcast ID. And so, you know, what, what you'll see is, you know, this rule has come out, but there's a lot of things that need to fall into place to actually effectuate it. And one of those is the technology for the broadcast module. Uh, not only, um, you know, the, the patents like Kenji just got and what others will, I'm sure will follow, but what the physical technology, you know, off the manufacturing, uh, you know, um, uh, assembly lines. What is that going to look like? I, when when we talk about retrofit, I think the vision is literally you slap it on, uh, you know, an aircraft. So, is it possible that you know I, I would think whoever's going to manufacture these things are going to try to make them compatible with as many possible existing aircrafts, um, you know, as as a solution. So that it's a viable business. Um, you know, model, mm -hmm. but that remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so from the manufacturing side, I think they'll probably work things out, right? It's the the yep. main manufacturers. It really kind of how much does a has this become a hassle for people who've currently invested? Uh, you know, if they've in invested in drones that are over a thousand dollars, that's a bigger hit to the wallet to to have them to reinvest in that. Um, and then they have to weigh that against retrofitting, but we kind of we we knew that was going to come. That's not really nearly that much of a surprise. But yeah, I, I think we'll dive more into the the networking solutions um, being off the table. It's not entirely off the table though, right? It's something that they left room to come later. But I mean, what does that mean? Does that does that still put some people on the chopping block? The chopping block if if you've invested in inter-USS platforms? You know, so you, you raise another great point that I think dovetails with CJ's earlier point about these nuances and words mattering, because um, what, if you read the rule, you know, the rule, and when I say the rule, right, the actual rule, I think it's like 30 or some odd pages out of the almost 500 uh, that were released, you know, the, the large bulk of, of the document that was that was put out into the public, 
is really that explanatory, you know, going through the comments that's required under the Administrative Procedures Act. You know, this group said this, we, we chose not to go this direction because of this. Um, so the actual rule itself is not really that long, um, you know, but if you dig through the entirety of the document, you'll see a lot of nuggets in there that kind of forecast this idea that network is not off the table. Mm -hmm. uh, words like, you know, law enforcement says, you know, quote unquote, at this time, a broadcast solution, you know, is workable for them. Uh, words like, uh, and again, this is just from memory, um, uh, that we envision a potential, uh, you, you know, USS-like, uh, you know, um, paradigm or concept, and we encourage industry to keep uh, innovating for unmanned traffic management. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, and, and when you look at UTM ConOps 2.0, and, and you put these things together, it's clear that network isn't off the table. Uh, it's just a matter, like, it almost seemed like at this time, and to get this done as promised, uh, it was just too hard to do to figure out that network piece of it fully. Um, but network is still alive and well, in, in my humble opinion. And uh, in fact, Miriam McNabb and DroneLife.com, uh, uh, they just pushed out an article uh, about Apple just received a patent incredibly on, on New Year's Eve, December 31st. Hmm. So what, two days after the, the rule came out and it's for this essentially a network solution uh, you know, that will, that will allow the transfer, uh, a handoff from cell tower to san cell tower a lot more rapidly and seamlessly, uh, that when you think about that is, is, is that, you know, that, that could really open up beyond visual line of sight, unmanned traffic management, and where is Apple fitting on, into all this? So, you know, so what I would say, you know, if you're talking about winners, losers from the rule, um, you know, USS, you know, unmanned aircraft service suppliers, are they losing out here? I, I'd say no, because I think they're just, they're, they're moving forward. They're in the background. They are going to come forward, I would say, probably sooner versus later, to be honest with you. I want to, just in case anyone, because we're referring to um, a network versus broadcasting um, so just to clear that up, because we keep using these terms. So broadcasting, it means that the actual aircraft itself is sending a signal to a um, to a receiver, basically via radio, as opposed to a network based solution, which would be um, one broadband Internet based network that all these drones communicate on and that, um, you know, regulators, law enforcement can get that information from the network. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the the broadcast versus network. That's exactly right. And and what are some of the benefits of of each and, and potential cons of each? Um, I know Wing made a pretty um, opinionated statement on uh, that they wished the FAA would have come down with a more network based solution as opposed to this broadcast. But um, at a high level, what are the some of the the pros and cons? And could you compare and contrast the two potential solutions a little bit? Well. You know, so your your broadcast is going to be Bluetooth and kind of wireless based, you know, your network, uh, internet based and, um, you know, honestly, CJ, it's really hard to, to say which one is better. I, what yeah. I can tell you is even for the broadcast solution that has been put forward, that specific spectrum radio, you know, radio frequency spectrum RF spectrum has not been allocated for this. Right. And so, uh, you know, once again, in concept, how is this going to work? Right. Uh, I, I think that is the big question. I mean, that's what I put at the end of the article, uh, you know, from, from Inside a Man that you referenced earlier, which is we've got 500 pages, uh, a lot, you know, a lot of information. But at the end of the day, how is this, how is this actually going to work? Uh, and so, it's not just the spectrum that needs to be, um, you know, figured out. Even things like the those FRIAs we talked about, and uh, you know, the criteria. And now educational institutions can apply that. That's a new ad. Mm -hmm. um, 
the, you know, the, I think there was mention, we'll, we'll put that out in an advisory circular later, how that's going to work. Right. And, and so, um, you know, we talked about technology, the fact that people are just now getting patents for some of these things. Uh, you know, the technology doesn't exist. Um, you know, I'll be curious to hear what uh, Charles Werner and his drone responders group uh, talk about tomorrow with the with the FAA, you know, from the law enforcement community standpoint, just think about it. Uh, you know, if you if you do a word search on law enforcement in that uh, rule, you're going to get like 91 plus hits. Hmm. And, um, you know, when you look at the rationale for the rule, it's 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 safety, but it's primarily security and this idea that law enforcement and security agencies need to be able to track uh, unmanned aircraft, need to be able to identify them, uh, detect them. Uh, and yet it says, uh, but you know, they're not required to use it. And so it's out mm -hmm. there and they'll have to pay for it. Um, so, you know, do they have existing equipment uh, that can, you know, uh, you know, capture the, the broadcast signals that we're talking about, you know, perhaps maybe that's why they went with the broadcast option because maybe, maybe they have that on hand, but um, I, I can also tell you it's not linked into any of the normal law enforcement databases, which is probably if I was a cop and I'm, I'm approaching somebody from my own safety standpoint, I'd want to be able to, especially if someone I think is doing something incorrect, you know, wrong or da dangerous or criminal, um, I'd want to be able to, like when I roll up on a car, plug that into my system, be able to see if they have outstanding warrants. Uh, do they have a history of violence? Uh, law enforcement doesn't have that ability even with this new rule. Uh, and so I, I guess what I'm saying is there's, there's so many things to continue to be developed to um, really uh, make this effective for the purpose for which it was written. Right. So before uh, we move on, I want to kind of capture a few questions here. I don't know if you could answer this one, but uh, from Mark, uh, noob question, how, how much weight are we talking to implement this for retrofit? Is there a transmitter strength or transmission interval requirement? So I think, uh, I think the weight, uh, point is an interesting issue because this affects battery life so then you might just have to buy a new drone anyway uh mm -hmm. if you can only fly for five seven minutes with the weight of this uh transmitter uh you know that that's absolutely a great point um so we we don't know what these transmitters are going to look like uh how much they're going to weigh the rule applies to uh you know 50.55 uh, and greater uh, you know, and, and so where the weight becomes super relevant actually is for ops over people and at night, which was a rule that was released simultaneously with this rule, uh, because they created this, this kind of category scenario of four different categories. And because it's risk-based, uh, weight plays into what category, you know, your aircraft would fall into and the different requirements that would apply. I mean, we, we can get into that. I have, we, you know, I did another article with uh, General Poss uh, for, for Insight on Man on the ops over people rule as well. There was a second part though, besides weight that you mentioned, Mike, what was that second component? Yeah, is there a transmitter strength or transmission interval requirement, which I, again is also important. Like how often but, do they need to be saying, I'm here, I'm here? Uh, yes, there was. And uh, let me see if I have that in my article. I, I don't honestly remember that from uh, just by memory, but there definitely was an interval requirement for broadcasting those message elements. Um, give me a second. I mean, it, it was uh, only 499 pages, right? So yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, don't, I didn't memorize every <laughs> word. But I, I will. Well, we have the Discord, so I recommend if that person's not in the Discord, um, you can just go there later. Maybe Don could uh, drop the answers in. Does do you think you could do that, Don, or do you want to direct uh, them yeah. to your website? Maybe. Ah, that kills me because I, I, yeah, uh, yeah. So option B is go go into the rule and do do a, a search for interval. Oh, you know what? I think maybe Scott maybe answered here. Minimum yeah. one hertz. Yeah. So. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Um, I, that was 
the number one was in my brain, but I didn't want to say the wrong thing. But now that you say that, I, I know that is correct. Mm -hmm. So here's uh, an interesting one. Uh, J Dice 77 why are we reinventing the wheel? We already have ADSB for GA. So. Oh boy, okay. Uh, there is a very lengthy discussion on ADSB out uh, in the rule. I'd really encourage you, you know, kind of go to the primary source, read it yourself. Um, but uh, I'll just paraphrase my understanding was this idea of just just clutter. They, they didn't want too many folks on that net all at one time. And so, um, again, that's my rudimentary understanding, but the FAA went at great lengths to explain their rationale as to why they did not uh, include ADSB out uh, as part of this rule. By the way, that did not change from the uh, notice. Uh, right from the start, I, over a year ago, the, the FAA said, we're not going to use ADSB out as our solution. Hmm. And so that is one of the things that did not change, actually, from the original rule to that final rule. So um, Zoom Room TV, this rule takes effect in two years with a new administration, new people heading the FAA. How much would this rule be changing before it goes live? Could it be scrapped totally and redone? I also understand there's to be a lawsuit to look at privacy issues. So spilling the beans too early yeah, there on great, the lawsuit. <laughs> it's great, great question though. I was going to ask something similar just because the timeline is so long. And like you pointed out in your article, Don, there's, it almost leaves just as many questions um, or brings up just as many new questions as it, as it actually answered. Um, you know, what, what are the possibilities of them kind of tweaking this along the way? Um, you know, 30 months is, is a long time in this industry as, as we know. Yeah, I think 30 months is a long time, but CJ, to, to use your word, I think tweaking uh, the rule is more likely than, to use Mike's word, scrapping it, right? right. Well, no, like, because yeah. look, so yeah. many people put so much time and effort into this. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, let's give the FAA some, some credit here. You know, they really did go through 50,000, 53,000 comments. Um, you know, they, they looked at this critically. Um, the broadcast option, that, that that in itself is not new. That was part of the standard ID in, in the original notice. You know, what changed was that network piece of it. So, um, you know, with the new administration, are they gonna radically change everything in the UAS world? You know, I would think not. Uh, and look, I've been in the national security arena for almost 30 years now. And what, I'll, what I will say is, um, you know, it's almost like, from, from administration to administration, the major uh, policies, they don't change radically. Uh, there's, you know, they, they might go a little right, they might go a little left, but, you know, I'll, I'll give props to, uh, you know, the Federal Civil Service Corps. There's a whole bunch of bureaucrats in the federal government for a reason to keep the ship moving forward despite whoever is in charge. And, and so at its core, you know, no one is really disputing the need for remote ID in the United States or globally. Like it's an important concept, you know, now how you execute that concept, I think is what we, we need to talk about, right? But this idea that we need to have, um, you know, situational awareness of what is flying around in the air that we need to be able to detect uh, nefarious users and things of that nature, um, or even the clueless and careless. I don't think anybody really disputes that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, my, if I'm looking into my crystal ball, you know, in, into the, the next four years, I'd say keep tweaking it. I mean, even when you look in the R&D world, right? So the Obama uh, administration, they put together the FAA test sites. And by the way, Congress dro drove that, right? Congress directed that, all right? And then the next thing you saw was the IPPs. That was a Trump era uh, R&D uh, initiative. It was an evolution on top of it, yeah. On top of it. Yeah. So they didn't say we're killing all test sites, we're doing this instead. In, in a way they grew it. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know, because I'm a nerd, I researched all this. It was really odd, like the president put out an executive order saying, you know, go, go do these IPPs. And then Congress came out later in, in the FAA Reauthorization Act, I think it was 2018, and said, uh, yes, do these IPPs. So it was almost like they blessed it. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, that was like our lane to say that. So 
we're okay with it, but we're gonna we're gonna say it. Um, whereas with the Obama uh, administration, it was in in an, I think it was 2016 or the 2012 Act, and then um, you know they they created those. So I, I think the the test sites in the R and D area, IPPs, and now beyond, which is the next phase of IPP. I think that that whole situation, that whole uh, paradigm, goes to show that we don't just scrap stuff. Um, you know, we we build on what's already there. We tweak mm -hmm. it. We make it better. Um, you know, we possibly even grow it. And and so um, drones are critical to our economy, our national security, and um, I think they're going to be an important issue for this administration. I don't think you're going to see radical changes. That's again, you know, maybe I'll regret saying that, but you know, I I think you know we're going to move forward. There's going to be. Uh, around the margins, some changes made, but what we already have in our ecosystem, whether it's the R&D stuff, remote ID, whatever it is, you know, it's going to keep moving forward. It needs to. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't think uh, the players um, who have their hands on the wheel are not looking at drones. Um, I mean, it's Buttigieg's DOT now, and he's got a foot in, in the valley. Um, he's got a lot of friends there, so I would expect he would be probably just pro-tech in general. I, I think uh, the riddle of China will continue. It, that seems to be a kind of bipartisan concern. How they exactly address it, I think, will be the most interesting kind of thing to come out of this uh, next administration. Um, but like you said, and it, it seems like the FAA, if anything, the, the concern would be less about them building something and it being too rigid is that they left it kind of very open this time yeah. for interpretation to build upon uh as we saw with the kind of network uh or their answer to the network solution there like they took it off the table to reduce complication but they also did not take it off the table as permanently so that nobody could come back to it and address it yeah you know absolutely that's something we always said in the air force but totally applicable here you know flexibility is a key to air power and you know that that's what you see in this rule uh you know a lot of things to be finalized but you know a lot of flexibility in what that's going to look like yeah i want to read this um <clears throat> this quote from wing who was a little bit critical of the uh uh, using broadcast technology as opposed to a network-based solution. So the use of broadcast remote ID technology raises significant privacy concerns for American citizens, Wing says. Unlike traditional aircraft flying in between known airports, commercial drones fly closer to communities and between businesses and homes. While an observer tracking an airplane can't infer much about the individuals or cargo on board, an observer tracking a drone can infer sensitive information about specific users, including where they visit, spend time, and live, and where customers receive packages from and when. American communities would not accept this type of surveillance of their deliveries or taxi trips on the road. They should not accept it in the sky. Um, either of you guys just love to get some of your thoughts on on that i mean are these concerns valid um it seems like the faa would have some of this in mind and, and, and so this not anybody would just be able to figure out where i live and and who is flying every drone and and get some of the sensitive information um how, you know how valid are these concerns or how much does is wing favor a network-based solution because at the end of the day google google's in the internet business yeah okay so let, let's back up and talk about these message elements that are being beamed out right through this broadcast solution um what it's going to include for the public uh are is the uis the 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 ua's identity the, so the drone's mm -hmm. identity so manufacturer serial number or possibly a session id which will be a little more vague and again more policy to follow uh the controls for the standard ID, control station latitude and longitude. For the uh, broadcast modules will be the takeoff location. Uh, the UAS, uh, let's see, what else am I looking at? Oh yeah, I'm looking at the wrong one, hold on. I know this is all right. They added velocity um, and um, things like that. But so let me just say this, the personally identifiable information that would be tied to your registration application or in the FAA database 
that is not available to the public. Right. So that is yeah, something yeah. that law enforcement and security agencies should be able to triangulate, again, with technology to be determined. Uh, however, comma, you know, people raise this issue of, oh, well, they don't need a warrant. Look, they can do whatever they want just because it's in there. Well, no, I give props to the FAA here because uh, a couple times in the rule, they outright say that we assume that law enforcement will follow the Constitution. Okay. That's an ad from the notice when that was not mentioned. Wow. So just to kind of squash those concerns about, you know, privacy on that end, uh, the, that language was included in the rule. Now, on the public side, uh, can, they, can they figure out, can a really savvy person track a drone to your front doorstep to see what Amazon is delivering? I mean, you could get the equipment. I mean, it's a matter of how much effort you want to put into it, right? You know, I mean, it might be easier I, I to just hack it. To follow your car. Well, that's what I was going to say. Couldn't they? Yeah, no, no different than a, a DT at that point. Right. Right. The level yeah. of like. Yeah. Now, um, this idea of a persistent surveillance state, um, to the extent that someone can factually tie that to what this rule does. And, and I'm honestly, I haven't dug deeply at, at least at this point into the privacy angle, like I did last year with the notice. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, I will tell you that there is a Supreme Court case uh, several years back called you know the Jones case. And it was about a GPS tracker that law enforcement slapped onto this guy's car, uh, you know, and, and followed all of his movements. And um, there was some, you know, um, language in that case that talked about, I think, by the way, the court struck down uh, that, that, um, that search as being unlawful, but they did it on a very nuanced property trespass basis, which is just kind of weird. But they threw out this idea that persistent surveillance for surveillance in the right case with the right technology could raise additional concerns. And so the question is, are we there yet? Are we there with this rule? And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing um, that lawsuit if that's what someone's alleging. Um, I've talked to a couple people who might have an interest and I, I, I don't know that they're there, but if someone in the audience is aware of a lawsuit, I'd love to see it. I'd love to talk to the person that's, uh, that's behind it. Um, I, you know, so I'm, I'm personally not quite there yet. Um, but also at the same time, I haven't dug super deep into it, uh, with regards to being able to track an Amazon package right to your door. Right. Yeah. We'll probably have to ask our friends over there to see what the, uh, the thinking there was. I think they had to come up with a response, um, to, remote id so i would say at a minimum we could say that wing is not totally satisfied with the outcome of it as it right. is well and, and the concerns they voiced are those truly specific to the to a broadcast solution and not a network solution it would seem to me that if somebody hacked a network solution they would be able to get all that same data Maybe Depends it's on what level, to... where it's encrypted, how it's encrypted. And like Dawn said, like that's not necessarily worked out yet. So, I mean, right. you can't claim that it's more secure than something that doesn't exist. It's something that doesn't exist, sure. Um, yeah. So here's a good question. So I'd like to know the procedure from uh, law enforcement officials to interrupt a flight or pilot in operation when they're compliant. So... Um, question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it, um, you know, that, safety that, concerns that, there to to interrupt the off uh, the operator, right? I, I love that question because it's it's like that loaded question. So how many times do do you beat your wife? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you no, know, it's just like assumes that that that's going to happen, and, and I and I know sometimes it does, right? And I think that's an education piece on the law enforcement side, and, and we can talk about that all day long. But um, you know, if I think it's unfortunate and, and I think there's efforts going forward like the FAA has a great uh, you know website and program to educate law enforcement uh, on these rules you know it's a matter of resourcing I know drone responders is out there um, you know kind of 
beating the bushes. I know Skydio just put out some ethical uh, considerations. It's relevant to law enforcement, other things. Um, you know, so what are the procedures for them to interrupt, uh, you know, a pilot? Um, you know, are there procedures? Uh, the, the, the tricky thing is that, you know, if you're flying an aircraft, right, you're part of that air crew. Um, and, but if law enforcement needs to ask you a question, they need to ask you a question and, and it's a delicate balance, but, um, you know, can they force you to land, to have a conversation, uh, you know, all these things. I think some of these things happen. Uh, but when you look at the uh, the Aircraft uh, Sabotage Act, 18 United States Code, Section 32, it talks about interfering, you know, with, with an air crew and things like that, makes it punishable. But there's, there's got to be like an intent, um, you know, and I think law enforcement, you know, they, they have to do their jobs. And so there may be times where they come up to somebody that, that's controlling an aircraft to ask them a question. Uh, the new rule, by the way, is, is very clear about law enforcement's ability to say, I want to see your registration, you know, and, and for foreign, uh, foreign registered aircraft, uh, there's a certificate that they need to have on their person. Uh, you know, it specifically says law enforcement can ask for that. So they need to be able to ask for information. Uh, you know, should they be, you know, touching people, uh, things? And not, no, of course not. Would they, should they, you know, so... Um, you know, that's, that's a really loaded question. That's a tough one. I think that really requires uh, a lot of education. But if you look at the FAA's LEAP program, um, you know, they, talk, they actually have a little pocket card uh, to, for law enforcement to collect information and things like that. But whoever asked the question, what I will tell you is this, you know, local law enforcement, they don't have the ability to actually enforce FAA regulations. So uh, you know, that's federal, uh, we're talking state and local. So this is the biggest rub, I think, with, this, with security and remote ID, is um, what tools have we given to law enforcement? Like literally, because we still need technology, right? We know that, but in education and training, we still know they need that. Uh, but from an enforcement standpoint, what have we given them? because you know, they are basically relegated to enforcing whatever state laws are on the books and a lot of them have nothing to do with drones. So is it re you know, careless, by design, reckless right? endangerment? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, well, by design, they don't have anything to do with aircraft. You know, that's, exactly. that's, that's the FAA's domain, mm -hmm. so. Exactly. And so, you know, they're supposed to be calling up the FAA regional office and, and getting somebody out there you know, is any of this happening? Um, I think not really. And we know this because the only cases you really hear about are those really kind of high visibility explosive cases where someone's, you know, interfere, you know, crashing into a helicopter um, or something like that. You know, the everyday person that's operating a drone, you know, part 107 or other or recreation, you know, um, and that interaction boots on the ground with law enforcement there's there's a lot of refinement needed there in many respects so great point for whoever asked that question mm -hmm. so uh somebody was calling back to an earlier question op specifically asked while flying over his own proper property if that changed the answer is that in maybe the chat could fill us in was that re in reference to the adsb thing um anyway so uh this is a cute comment i like this one it federal until you land, right? So stay yeah. from here. <laughs> you know that 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 is a that is a great point. You know, I want to I want to go back to the wing and this idea of the deliveries on the doorstep. And you know, now that I think about it more, um, you know, because this is live and someone on the fly, I didn't really put a lot of neurons against this. You know, part of what they what you can track is not just the velocity, but it's it's like the location. And so I guess if you're within Bluetooth or Wi-Fi range and you kind of track this thing, could you track it to somebody's doorstep? I, I'm going to say yes. And, you know, I never really thought about that. So uh, whoever raised it, thank you. Um, 
You know, and, and, and I think it goes to the broader question of why does the public need to have it? You know, like, so. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering that too. Oh, I remember talking at New Air and Andy and I were going over that because like I, that was my immediate question. And it was like a, a bone to the public for concerns about privacy, their own yeah, privacy okay. with drones. I see that. And it, 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 it felt like the, you know, like trying to answer one question with a completely different kind of that they gave them the answer to a completely different question that they weren't actually asking about like the type of person that's actually concerned about drone privacy probably just needs to be educated about what drones actually do what type of person is actually flying them they're not and that the person other laws already be... cover their privacy if somebody's doing peeping tom stuff you know or oh yeah and and the faa made a, a great point to talk about the whole peeping tom thing and that you know we're not this is not the the privacy regulating essentially privacy torts. That's You're the right. lawyer word for you know actions that that would be maybe compensable in civil court, maybe criminally, um, you know, uh, chargeable. That they said that that's not our lane. But um, you know, look, we're calling this thing a digit, uh, you know, an electronic license plate. Uh, that's great. Joe Q public, yes, they should be able to see what the ID number is. Because if the point is, this thing is causing me problems and I want to report it, what do they need to know? They need to know the license plate, just like they would for a car. They don't need the other information. Mm -hmm. They don't need right, to know right. the velocity, you know. Now, okay. Again, there's there's so much to think. Do about. they need to know the criminal record of every driver? You know, like or well, they, or, or or the efficiency. Like, how many accidents has that car been in? You yeah, know, that these are yeah. Well, and, well, remote ID doesn't open that door for them. What it does is give them some like directional data. You know where it launched from and things like that. But why do they need that? Like, why right. you know if if they report it to law enforcement, law enforcement needs that. Right. Um, like I'm going to grandma's house. Now everybody needs to know I'm going to grandma's house because yeah. of the trajectory or where. Yeah. It, there's, if you, if you think about cars on the road, the, it does seem kind of absurd. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, look as a layperson, I might be able to say that car is going Southeast on this road and maybe operating at about the speed I would guess, but I, I don't have, I don't know the actual speed of the car. You know, I don't know exactly the direction of every place it's going to go unless I physically follow it. And who does that? Nobody does. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, you know, when we talk about the new administration or what's the future and what can we do to refine, you know, I think this is a really important thing that needs to be looked at uh, from the standpoint of what information is available to public. It's not only the wings of the world saying, oh, look, you can, it's a privacy issue, track stuff to a door. It's the drone operators, it's the commercial providers that are saying, I don't need, you know, some angry person that doesn't right. like what I'm doing for whatever reason <laughs> right. to be able to physically confront me and find me. Right. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a legitimate concern. I have friends that have been threatened with guns that were just merely doing their paid, you know, part 107 job. And that right. is really frightening. Yeah. And drones yeah. as an issue, Agreed. they take on this mythical kind of uh, space in a conspiracy theorist mind um, where, you know, you're a symbol of, of something that they really hate about the world. And, and, and that's just not the type of individual, a pilot who's gone through the process of getting commercially certified deserves to be, you know, at risk of i i just didn't i don't yeah yeah <laughs> i think we know where my stance on this is now well i don't want to lose the questions because they're actually moving fast yeah. okay um so and i'm having a hard time like seeing them so i appreciate you reading yeah, those to sure. me uh yeah i mean you could try pinning mine rather than seeing so just use the uh the thing so i'm concerned with bottom line costs when operations are less efficient when every time we are interrupted just because they're curious. So basically, um, I'll finish the question. I see this being a big problem in small towns now that they are given tracking. Um, 
I mean, my, my take would be that if it's a small town, they probably should know you're consistently operating. Um, but I do see the issue there where it's just like, now this is a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of like when they find a good spot to hit you with the radar, they just prop up there, you know, like, okay, we could, we could hit the drone operators up. Um, I guess that, that goes back to the enforcement thing too, though. Like how much enforcement do they actually have? Um, well, and why would they be so curious? Well, and do they yeah. need a reason to potentially stop a flight, right? Like, um, just like a police officer needs to show you their, their radar gun that they caught you speeding with, or they have to give you some sort of reason. They don't just, they don't just kind of pull you over and shake you down or they're not supposed to for no reason. And hopefully the same as drones, they get, they have some sort of broadcast based piece of data, which I, they were able to identify a potential bad actor and then are going to look into it further. Well, you know, one, one thing to consider uh, for those that have businesses out there, just as a best practice, why not reach out to the local law enforcement when you know you're going to be in an area and just let them know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, I, you know what? I've got this job. I'm going to be at this power line or whatever it is, uh, you know, between here and here, you know, just, just letting you know, I mean, and, and if there's not like a good communication, maybe, you know, at the local level, the municipal level, you know, get, get with others, you know, that's the, the drone service um, providers Alliance might be good for get with others, establish that communication line with law enforcement. So maybe you can put together some kind of an informal or even a formal mechanism um, to, to, to let the law enforcement at least know that this is what I'm doing. And if you're in a neighborhood, why not let the neighbors know? Like, how can that boss, you know, like just, just again, there's, there's practical ways to do this. Um, but sometimes information, education, transparency, and we do hear a lot about the horror stories, but you know, there's really good news stories. And I hope people out there that fly drones, they have people coming up to them because they think it's cool and they think it's great that they're, that they're doing it and they want to know more. Um, I hope those stories, um, are equal, if not, uh, greater than, than the, uh, you know, than the converse. You know, it's reality. Yeah, yeah. It, it's all a matter of an ex- exposure. We're really, I mean, sadly, we're not at the level of exposure that we would want. Because if you think about when cars or even bicycles first hit the roads, uh, people were concerned about them. You know, different lobbies went out, and now we have, you know, we're a car nation. So um, yeah. nobody would think about cars in a negative light. I mean, they might like electric over gasoline, but the, you know, they're not, they're not concerned that it's, they're, they're interrupting their safety, which I mean, cars are really dangerous and they do. So, uh, I think we're just not at that level of understanding where the average person in the public is actually positive. And I think that's, what's concerning the majority of the pilots is, uh, interfacing with somebody as I think Scott said, uh, you know, having a shotgun pointed at you is not exactly, yeah. It, and, and you know that uh, we're from New York, so we don't think in those terms the same way. But this is true. You know, certain states are 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 more open to open carry. Right. Right. Gun culture is different, and the way you conduct yourself in those states uh, has to assume that a person might be armed. So, yeah, let me let me throw this out there too, just as a practical thing to think about. You know, to think about as a business. Um, you know, some of these folks that are doing the drone delivery, you know, and you've probably seen them on, you know, uh, in the media, they have pretty robust operation centers, you know, they have a roped off area, it says, you know, uh, active, uh, you know, uh, flight operations, um, you, you certainly don't have to go to that extent, but, but maybe there's, you know, some signage, maybe there's like, you can rope off a little, you know, kind of area around you and make it clear that, like, what I'm doing is official. Um, what I'm doing is is flying an aircraft, and this is an aircraft operation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you would hope people would respect that. And, and hey, at least if law enforcement comes up to you, they, they at least have that initial data point that, you know, especially if it, you, if it looks legit. Uh, you know, I wouldn't do it in crayon, you know, with the yeah, right. uh, bungee cords. Um, you know, but um, there, I just gave someone a great business uh, idea. Start selling uh, these kind of, um, drone area, drone zone kits. Drone signs, yeah. Uh, well, well, heck I should have just kept that for myself. Yeah. Well, you know, Jonathan Arrow is saying that he has a sandwich yeah. sign he puts out. Yeah. Um, he said exactly what you just said. 
Um, he <laughs> notifies his neighbors, his neighbors on either side of him uh, before he flies missions. Um, yeah. Being being proactive about it. Um, yeah, communication is, is so key. I mean, even if you're looking at the other side from like law enforcement, I've seen some uh, police departments, they've set up a Facebook page just for the drone where it says, I'm right. here, I'm going to be flying for this reason. So this way the public can be informed about how law enforcement is using this tool in their neighborhoods. Um, yeah, right. so it seems like uh, both Chris and, and John from Texas and Arizona uh, respectively are saying that, you know, you know, people carrying in their state is a concern. So uh, when they when they fly their drone missions. There's another question, Don, about um, <clears throat> uh, night flight. So with the new remote ID ruling, is a waiver still required to fly at night and over people? Uh, no, so that's the, kind of the whole point of the rule is to get rid of the waiver mm -hmm. and uh, in, instead, you know, comply with the new requirements. And there are a lot of them. So Micah and, and CJ, I don't know if you were able to drop my Ops Over People article into the chat as well, or you can get that out to folks. Um, well, drop but, it in the Discord too, CJ, because yeah, uh, this will go away eventually. Yeah, no, that'll be great. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the whole point of the rule was to get rid of having to do the one-off uh, eaches on, you know, night ops and over people. And there's a lot of nuances to it. So I'd ask that you check out my article. And look, uh, you know, I'll be the first person to say, because I'm a huge advocate, go to the primary source. If you want to know, read the rule yourself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you don't look, the law belongs to everybody. You don't have to go to law school to read laws and understand them. Um, you know, General Poss and I, um, you know, tried to make it more user friendly for you, um, you know, in our article. So I would definitely uh, go to that. But yeah, waivers will not be required. There's timelines um, for now. Yes, you still use waivers. Um, there's a point where no, you won't be using waivers. Mm -hmm. Okay, any more? Um, yeah, a couple more. Okay, uh, we need a timeline for BV loss. BV loss, yeah. Ah, yeah. Oh, BV yes. loss. I totally yeah. forgot it existed. I saw it. <laughs> did Congress? Congress just um, reached out to the FAA and said, "Hey, we need some sort of framework or timeline for a BV loss." You know, framework, I saw right? I saw some traffic on that. Honestly, it was it was supposed to be in the Omnibus Appropriations Act. That's like a five thousand page document, uh, and uh, I've been going through that as well. I could not find that reference to BV loss, and um, I'm obviously going to go back and relook. But it it was more like, um, you know, one of these. It's the sense of Congress that it would be really great to do this. So it wasn't like, you know, <laughs> FAA you will be doing this by X right. day. It was more like, hey, props for BV loss. Let's make that happen at some point. We think that's an awesome thing. Right. And it was really, I think, um, geared towards detect and avoid technologies. Um, so yeah, my my uh, you know New Year's uh, wish would be that by the end of this year we have a BV loss notice of public rulemaking out. Wouldn't that be spectacular? Uh, you know, more holiday reading, yeah. and you know, and maybe <laughs> a 2022 uh, launch of that, but. Um, you know, we'll see. Mm -hmm. I, I wish it was less than less than holiday. You know, mid year. Oh, I agree. Being, you know, be nice. I, I, you know, I think the challenge uh, right now is kind of what you already see with remote ID is the technology. Um, you know, it's being developed, and, and there definitely is technology. I think Iris Automation is a great example uh, of detect and avoid. Um, you know, that has come a long way, uh, but um you know those use cases the safety cases that are being built that's exactly what the beyond program is about it's really focused on bv loss and so i do strongly feel like over the next year uh that that those use cases and safety cases will continue to grow and build and the data that people need to say okay we can breathe a little easy now easier now we can see where this could work um and then frankly that network solution, because I don't, uh, you know, um, again, caveat, not the engineer here, 
but my engineer buddies tell me that um, the broadcast option will not get you BV loss because it's mm. not going to extend out far enough. Yeah, the, right. there's also the the issue with the uh, the broadcast option is it it's kind of dumb and simple, so you can't build software on top right. of it to then right. make new utilities. You can't compute the data and then make new kind of tools from that. So. Uh, yeah. Well, one of the one of the knocks on the network based, and I think this was in your article, Don, is that in some rural areas you may not have strong enough Wi-Fi or internet signal to hop on the network and, and give the information you need to be giving from your aircraft. Um, infrastructure spending, let's go yeah. for well, it. <laughs> yeah, infrastructure yeah. spending, and you know, I think that is a, a priority for the FCC. Yeah. Um, you know, I apologize, I don't remember the name of the exact initiative, but there is a specific. Um, targeted initiative to expand, uh, you know, that coverage into rural areas. That mm -hmm. is a priority. Mm -hmm. uh, quick question to kind of close things out. Maybe you answered this, but I'm wondering my part 107 technically is expiring at the end of February. Will I need to pay and take the recurrent the old way or will I be able to do the new training? So no new, was new training introduced in this or no? It, it is there is new training coming out uh and and again they kind of alluded to it more i think in the ops over people rule uh this idea of recurrent training they're going to include uh hmm. in the initial training um the uh, operations over people requirements and then there's going to be kind of a currency thing uh and and a special training for for that so your question is <laughs> that's a great will question. they be out of date i'm no? laughing because uh, Vic Moss and Kenji Shugahara were just on um, uh, yesterday with, uh, gosh, he just chatted with me today. I, Robert, what's his name? Uh, I apologize. Um, so many things in my brain right now. But they talked exactly about this. And I, I think it was even Kenji that said that's exactly what's happening to him, uh, is that his is expiring at the end of February. And then it's just this idea of, um, you know, do you go ahead and, and, and pay for it? And I'm sorry, I forget his answer, but, um, but I, but I guarantee if you go on, uh, the, um, UAV law news, uh, Facebook page, which if you're not signed up for that, do that, um, you know, the drone, uh, service providers Alliance and things like that. Um, they're, they're talking about these things. That's a very practical concern. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you will have to take it if you, unless you want to gap it, I think. Mm. But I defer to my operator buddies for that. Yeah. Well, I know we're, we're coming up on an hour. Um, I want to do just like a very brief recap about the rule and kind of some of, of what we spoke about. Um, so this is needed for UAA, um, UAs weighing up to 55 pounds, anything greater than 0.55 pounds. Um, it is not needed for home-built unmanned aircraft defined as UA that an individual built solely for education or recreation. It is not required for UA of the United States government and armed forces, uh, not required for research UA, which is UA designed for the purpose of aeronautical research or test UA designed to show compliance with regulations. And lastly, indoor UA operations, the remote ID requirement, um, requirements only apply when the UA exits the interior of a building or structure and is operated outside, so indoor ops are not subject to remote ID. And um, we spoke about the aircraft um, having to broadcast out the signal. This is not, um, the, uh, the requirements are not put on the whole UAS, so not on the entire system itself, which includes the control station and data link. And then finally, the um, we're moving forward with a broadcast-based um, uh, solution, not a network-connected-based solution. Um, and then we have, I guess, 30 months that, uh, for every aircraft to to comply. So um, like we talked about, there may be some tweaking in these 30 months. It's a long time in this industry, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how this starts to move forward, what new companies, what new uh, solutions are going to be created to help um, get all these aircraft on board and, and get them compliant. That'd be interesting to see if we get some new companies. So, um, I mean, Don, thanks again for, for being here. I know we went a, just a little bit long, uh, answered a ton of great questions. Thank you everybody for tuning in and, and participating. Uh, it just makes these episodes re really fun to be a part of. But any final thoughts, um, Don? This is our, as we mentioned, the first podcast of the year. Any, anything final before we let you go? 
Yeah, I, I would say keep your eyes peeled because I, I more to follow. You know, I mentioned in an earlier article, it's like uh, the jelly of the month club, the gift that's going to keep on giving throughout the year. And I, and I think that's true. Uh, remote ID, jelly of the month, because there's so many other policies, advisory circulars, technology, and let's, let's keep our eyes peeled and see what happens with that network piece of it. Cause that mm -hmm. ain't going away. Right. Um, so more to follow. And, and from the operator standpoint, um, you know, definitely plug into those operations networks. And if you have things expiring, um, you know, make sure that you're compliant. Right. Um, so mm -hmm. if the law enforcement does stop you, you are, you're good to go. Right. Um, but no, that that's it. It's going to be an interesting year. I think a lot of things uh, are going to happen this year. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. And once again, thanks again, CJ and Mike for including me. And how can uh, people get in touch with you if they want to uh, oh, yeah, ask absolutely. Um, you know, thanks. Uh, so I my website, uh, www.p3techconsulting.com. If you go to that, uh, you know, every article I've ever written in the last year is up there, uh, previous webinars, podcasts, all kinds of information. And you can also always email me at dawn at p3techconsulting.com. So, uh, you know, that's also linked to my website. So happy to mm -hmm. happy to continue the conversation. Yeah, th thanks everybody in the chat. Thanks uh, our friends John and um, John and Scott for always joining us and contributing, and uh, thank you again, Don, for uh, opening up the year with us. Out here, thanks. <laughs>